Hello, everyone. Welcome to the world of OT with KB, as with me as your host, Kate. So today I am talking with Dr. Bill Wong, who has lots of experience in the world of occupational therapy and as well as um, being a TEDx curator. But before we get into his experience with um, being a TEDx cura curator, I would like to ask um, Bill what your experiences with OT and then further along how you got into TEDx creations. Yeah, okay, let's, let's go, let's begin. So my name is Bill Wong. So I've been an occupational therapist for eight years, almost. And see, my primary setting is in skilled nursing facility setting. However, my specialty in OT is more the lines of autism and social media. Uh, my secondary setting right now is in academia. So last year I taught OTA students at Stanford University, and this year I'm teaching MSLT students at the same university. So definitely is like, it's still a work in progress on that front, but definitely I am working to become a better instructor for different levels, so to speak, of the OT curriculum. Let's see what else. Uh, so I've been involved in the AOTA Community of Leaders Group for the last four years and counting. And I'm just finishing up my first term in the AOTA Representative Assembly as the California Rep number two. And let's see, notable things I also did was that I, I was the contributor to the foreword for the Autism Across the Lifespan book, mm. an occupational therapy approach by AOTA Press. That was out 2018 on Labor Day. And then let's see, uh, then I'm also, I recently also helped collaborate with the autism community of practice in the OTA. We came up with a roadmaps of opportunities document in autism. So we published that earlier this year. And then I'm also, I also mentioned earlier that I'm a conference junkie. So I've been to more than 40 conferences since I started my journey as a student. So I never miss an AOTA conference as long as I'm eligible to attend as a student since then. And then let's see, I've been to two World Federation conference, three Canadian conference, three British conferences, two Australian conferences. And then there's a, like a European OT regional conference. I was there in 2016 as well. And of course I can go to quite a bit of state conferences. I see. Yeah, so I'm a conference junkie for the most part. <laughs> Talk about networking, huh? Yep. Yeah, so you have a lot of experience, um, and very diverse experience as well. So that begs the question, what, how did you get into TEDx creations and how are they different from the typical speaking TED Talks that most of us are familiar with? Yeah, I think one thing is that what, before I curated my event last year called TEDx Amenso Park, I think people in OTE, they associate TEDx with just speaking. And then when I mentioned the word curating, I was like, what the heck do you mean? And I was like, even like, as part of my professional, professional development plan for my year last year, I had to educate my program director that curating and speaking are two different actions. It's like curating is more like putting the whole enchilada together. So it's like, 
it's not like a one person job per se, but like had to oversee the whole operation, how the TEDx event coming together for the most part. Whereas the speaking is like, oh, you prepare the speech, you get on stage, you may be live stream, you might be on YouTube, and then that's that, you know, but curating is a lot of behind the scene and then posting up work as well. And then of course, in an ideal world, I know a lot of TEDx organizers is like, they would start to cycle over and over again. And I think one thing we talked about earlier before we got cut off, when we realized the boo-boo was like, I guess you asked me is like, do I have a sense of occupational balance? I will say the answer is no. <laughs> I'm a very poor example of that. And turns out that I'm joining in the quote unquote appropriate crowd, so to speak, because <laughs> like I, a few weeks ago, there's this tennis organizer, I think somewhere from Europe, he did an informal survey among other TEDx organizers, or what, they, what we call TEDxers. They fill out a survey. I will say at least 85% of them, they put down either 11 to 20 hours per week on their TEDx events, or some of them even put like 40 plus hours a week on the TEDx events. So if you talk about occupational imbalance, I was like, well, I technically joined that crowd right now, <laughs> even though I'm done with the duties of being one. So you don't really practice what you preach, but... No, I think it's like, if I were to tell them what occupational balance is, I'm like, Bill, you, you're not one of us, you know? <laughs> okay, so how did you initially get involved with TEDx Creations? Like, how did you find out about this? I would say it's more, more motivated okay. me to do this. So for me, it's like, so I think I put the response like, I presented at two TEDx events prior to me applying for the TEDx event license. Mm -hmm. So after I spoke at my second TEDx event, so like there were people like asking me for tips and stuff in terms of how to get this started. So at first I gave the suggestions like, hey, you know what, just go around TEDx events out there in your local area and see if we can apply to them. And then I think it was like, uh, I think after my second TEDx, a few months after that, it was like one of my high school teachers passed away. Mm. So I was like, okay, at first my intention was like, you know what, let's try to organize a TEDx event in honor of him because like he was a very well-respected teacher in the sciences. So I thought that would be a good way to honor him. But at funeral, I think my high school teachers, they really warned me like, uh, don't get your hopes up because like in the community that we're in, you know, it's like we are not as enthusiastic about TEDx events as you think. So mm -hmm. you may have a hard time. But it's like, you know what? It's like, I'm gonna do it for OT purposes as well because I'm thinking it's like, hey, you know what? If this event were to be successful, maybe I can sort of set an example on how it can be done from an OT standpoint. Because I think one of my leadership philosophy as an OT is that I like to set an example, even though it can be a very outrageous example, but at least you know what, at least I'm doing it. So I think it's like, I think if I were to have an okay time doing it, maybe that would encourage more people to replicate it. Yeah. In a sense. So that was my intention in the first place. And then it's like, of course, being the curator, I definitely have, I guess, like the ultimate say on the event program. So therefore, it's like, 
I think it's like, you know what, this, this can be a proactive opportunity to invite OT having seats at the table rather than being waiting for someone to invite us to the table. You get what I'm saying? Right, for sure, because honestly we need to advocate more for ourselves and on many different mediums and platforms that we can, right? So yeah, that's why I'm like, yeah, so I think initially when people heard the idea of like, this is great, but then when they, people realize how hard it is, or like, oh my gosh, you don't, this is so hard. Um, I think people were like, I don't know how you do this on top of the fact that you are also now an RA member at a time. Right. It's the balance we talked about. Um, so Other than that, it's more like role conflict, actually. There's such a thing as role conflict. Yeah. I can totally see that. Um, so I guess, how do you see OTs using this as a medium for advocacy and getting conversations going? Because is it like in a live, it's a, you like attend the live event, right? Like people sign up. So let's see, how do, I guess it's like, you, you're asking me that, how do OTs get involved in this space, right? Or Yeah, yeah. And like how, how do you see us using this like, like as a medium? Like what was your vision when you're getting involved in all of this? Uh, so I saw the set example, as I mentioned earlier, that maybe more OTs would take this step, take this proactive step mm -hmm. to sort of being, I guess one of the things I'm going to use OT context now, I know one of the things that Jeannie Stockwell mentioned a lot about her presidency as OTA president was about servant leadership. Right. So therefore I was like, hey, you know what, because... It is. It could be a very unselfish way for an OT freshener or student to facilitate somebody in OT to, who is deserving to have that recognition right. to speak on that platform. The reason why I say unselfish is because that one of the golden rules of being a TEDx organizer is that you cannot speak at your own events. It's one of the no-nos. Hmm. Yeah, so therefore, that's why I put unselfishly in a sentence. Right, I like that. So you just yeah. kind of like mediate it. Yeah, I guess it's more like, yeah, it's more like being unselfish, giving somebody a chance. I think it's almost like a community version of like giving, giving like because in clinically, we're talking about like doing something meaningful for our patients, right? Right. So in the community level, this is like giving somebody a chance like this, whether it's fellow OTs or somebody else in the community, that's like, it's technically, unless you're someone like Louis Schwartzberg or something like that, he's like a famous photographer or something on TEDx stage. I think he's spoken like five, six times already on TEDx. It's like, these are the kind of things that like you give people once in a, once in a lifetime opportunity to check off the bucket list, so to speak. So you got to do that for people. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. I love that. So do you have any advice for anyone that's considering starting one, getting involved? Yeah, I think I put it in the answer somewhere. Yeah, so uh, similar to other community projects, I think it's like, it is important to do a needs assessment. I mean, like you learn it in your community class, right? For right. your MLT program or your entry-level OTD program, right? Right. The needs assessment is so important. So one way to do it is like attending some TEDx events in your local area is a start. The reason why is actually two folks. It's like a few folks. I don't know how many times I'm going to say it, you know? Mm -hmm. So one fold is like, well, 
when you saw like get a consensus about the community, it's like, is your local community warm to the idea of having a TEDx event? And then also that is like, it is important. We talk about bridge. Oh yeah, it's like, I forgot. It's like another phone call that I had. So it's like, it's important to build connections with the local organizers if applicable. Because I've seen some TEDx events from other countries that they are actually supporting one another out. So definitely is like getting reach out to the curator or the other TEDxers across the globe and stuff. It was like, yeah, so it's like getting some mentorship before doing this. I think it's very important because like, because for me it's like, okay, I understand a little bit as a speaker, you know, because I understand what the speakers feel how they would need to feel prepared. But let's say you're somebody who's going cold and stuff, you don't have that kind of experience, mm -hmm. so like you don't have that kind of insight. So definitely you need somebody to give you the mentorship. It's like, oh, these are what the speakers want. Um, these are like, yeah, I guess also like, and then also like understanding the audience experiences, that is also very important because like, uh, you want to understand like, hey, like let's say you go to a local TEDx event because like, Supposedly, supposed to, it's not like, oh, it's like six hours straight through type of content. It does, it's not like that. It's like there's a lot of interactive time, there's a lot of social time, there's a lot of creative time or interactive time. So it's like the needs assessment from that standpoint is like, you know what? You want to sort of experience these kind of activities for yourself. I was like, hey, do I like this for my TEDx event? Or it's like, maybe I can think of something else that's more fun. Mm, okay. So therefore that is more like therefore it's like a physical needs assessment you know yeah for real oh, that's awesome. so definitely is like that's why i said also if you want to know the, the nuances of how tedx events work there's like a resources like the tedx community facebook page the tedx hub which i know seems very foreign to a lot of listeners <laughs> but tedx hub is more like ted's version of community so at least it's like, okay, it's like, okay, at least it's like those understanding, explaining stuff that is like, okay, this is more OT language I can sort of understand, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So that's a good place to start for people considering. Yeah, that's like inquiry, like you can join and it's like, yeah, because on community, right? People talk about like, oh, I'm a prospective student, I'm looking for these schools and stuff. So mm -hmm. like, you can ask these sort of similar questions and stuff, but like, hey, uh, I'm an occupational therapist and I live in blah, blah, blah. I have some, I want to start a TEDx event, but I don't know how to go about it. Something like that. So like they have that kind of form itself. And then there's the Solving for X podcast, the webcast. So that is like, so like they touch over different aspects that uh, about the nuances about the TEDx curation process. And then there's, there's the TEDx community hangout series. So it's like, sort of like a town hall, so to speak, like a Zoom town hall, so to speak. Okay. And then there's the Hacking the Red Circle podcast. So it's more like what we're talking about now, except that it's a podcast about like the behind the scenes stuff that the TEDxers are experiencing uh, and stuff. Like okay. participating in such discussions and listening in these webcasts will be very helpful. I know the fun for me is like, I found these resources halfway into the process. And because like these, these licenses, they only last for about 12 months. 
Okay. So from a standpoint, from a timing standpoint, that was pretty late in the ball game. Yeah, but it's nice that like if people want to get into this, you kind of just gave them a jump start when they're you know. Yeah. Just yeah, I know, right? I think that's what people. I think people in OT sort of underestimated. It was like, yeah, yeah it's like it's not fair for me to find out all these things on my own, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but I think it's like that's why I mentioned the comments. Like, I believe in the next persons are aware of these resources before they begin and do some homework, I think that will be much more helpful. Yeah, it sounds like there's also a couple of safe spaces for people to ask questions that they might be afraid to ask as well. Oh yeah, that's for sure, safe spaces. And I know for me it's like, now this is more like off script stuff. So actually I got to hang out with other TEDx organizers on Zoom quite a bit mm -hmm. since the pandemic. So therefore it's like, actually they are fun loving people just like we do. <laughs> Just like we do. Just that is like, and they are also very warm and very welcoming. So the, so I think it's like, there's some crossover to uh, OT community, but I think is that we just have to get used to the culture, so to speak. Yeah, it seems like it's a good space for us, especially if they're warm and you know encouraging and whatnot. Oh yeah, for sure. So I have to wonder, like, how much does it cost to operate a TEDx event? So from a financial standpoint, it depends on what type of event license you have. Okay. If you're talking about a 100-seat event, which is very common of us, especially given that, you know, it's like we won't be able to shell out, like, a few thousand dollars to go to a test sanctioned event. So let me specify that a little bit. By a test sanctioned event, you talk about the Big TED in Vancouver, or the TED Women, or the TEDx Fest, and that kind of stuff, where you sell a few thousand dollars, which is a lot more expensive than even the WFLT conference. I can tell you that. Yeah. You know, like if, to start out. So therefore, it's like starting out is like many of us would probably start at the hundred seat event level. So you're talking about in my geographic area, I think it's like around twenty to thirty thousand. I know that if you are savvy enough, you have some good connections with the community, you definitely can get it down to like a few thousand dollars because like maybe people would do it as a service to mm. you, like an in-kind donation, like a service donation or something. Uh -huh. Yeah. Instead of charging you for the whole cost or maybe they'll do it for half the cost, they give it a discount and stuff. So like it really depends, you know? Yeah, okay. So that's good to and know. then if you're talking about an upgraded license, which will happen if you attend a test function event, okay. this is more variable because like it's hundred plus. So you talk, you can be talking about like uh, two hundred people, or you can talk about like one thousand, two thousand people. You know, so there's that. So it's like that's more variable. So in terms of and then there's also another specialty license, it's called a level two license, which is like they have very strict criteria to achieve. So I've been to one of those before, and it is for TEDx LA, which is like in the Los Angeles area. That one was like 3,000 3, people went to the event, and those are the events that will charge like $250 a ticket. Uh, so the operating budget can be over a million dollars plus. Uh, I know. That's why I think I made it good. Yeah, that's why it's like it's such a broad spectrum. 
So I think it's like when I'm, so I'm going off track again. So I was like, when I mentioned to people this, because I know like, uh, people was like, who would mortgage a mansion? I don't think many people in OT would do that, you know? Yeah. I don't think many people in OT would do that. But then it's like, there are people who would do that. <laughs> there are people who would do that, that's for sure. So therefore, the price is really depends on how big the scale is, in a sense. Okay, that makes sense. Wow, bigger numbers than I would have imagined. <laughs> no, I think it's like, definitely it's a lot bigger than a lot of people in OT imagine. I think that's why I mentioned that it is an expensive better of the cap. Yeah, it's very expensive. <laughs> but, yeah, because I would say it's like, I think, I don't know if you've heard that, now we're going off script again. I don't know if you've heard that, uh, so my State Association of California, three years ago, we did a Rose Parade float, right? Have you heard of that? No. So we did a float uh, three years ago. I heard that float cost the association about quarter million to about 300 grand. Yeah, I'm, yeah, and then it's like, it's a lot harder. I mean, like, actually, the float is actually easier to fundraise for than the Texas event. Because, yeah. like, I think the float that took us, like, five years to fundraise that much money. Damn. Yeah, where's the TEDx event? Tangible, at least, you know, at least this is, like, tangible that someone, people can do things with or learn from, but, Yeah. I know, it's a different beast, you know? <laughs> yeah, so what are like some guidelines that surprised you? I think the biggest shocker for me was not being allowed to use crowdsourcing platform to raise money for the event. Because I know when people in OC, they ask me like, how can I help out? They're like, oh, you could use Kickstarter, you can use Indiegogo, whatever. But it's like, you can't do that. It's not, it's like, it's not allowed on the guidelines. So when I mentioned to people that, they were very shocked. Mm -hmm. You know, that was one thing. And then I just found out recently too, I'm going to off script again. So you actually also cannot use like the community grants as well. You cannot use that as a source of funding also. Mm -hmm. I, so therefore it's like, I thought things would be easy for me because yeah. like I know a lot of people, I, I think it's like if the crowdsourcing platform was allowed, it's like, well, I probably, if everybody on my follower list on Twitter give me a dollar or five dollars, I probably can run a very good event, you know? Right. Oh. Right. But when I found out it was not allowed, so like the road to get there was a lot harder. So next on the list is like, cannot speak of my own event, which I talked about earlier. Right. So like before I created my own event, actually I went to an event in the Los Angeles area. And I saw one of the co-organizers spoke on stage as well, on top of giving, on top of organizing the duties. So at first on the service, when I didn't know the guy nice better, so I thought she was working extra hard, you know? But turned out that what she did was actually illegal. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So in the TED world is what we called a rogue event, like a rogue, like you go rogue, right? Right. Yeah, you heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final guideline is that Ted is not responsible for reimbursing for the financial short shortfalls. Mm -hmm. I know that is like, because I heard that many people who ran their events first year, they may lose five grand, they may lose 10 grand and that kind of stuff. That's a pretty common site. 
at the time, I didn't really think the rule makes sense. But then now that I really think about it, I think it's like, it makes sense because like, catch do not open a can of worms. You get what I'm saying? Because like, okay, if they're subsidizing one event to make sure the balance is booked, then uh, it will have to help other events, you know? Right. Then you may promote more irresponsible spending, which I don't think Ted wants. So I totally get that. That's cool. Yeah, I, I understand that too. Um, so I guess, why are you so passionate in asking the OT community to follow your lead? Mm, so my second TEDx event was curated by a high school senior and her high school classmates and the supervision, with the supervision of a teacher. And then I also encountered college undergrad students who band together and actually like organize TEDx events in their universities. Sure, they are, I mean, as we talk about in the survey, right? Like they spend a lot of effort in putting these events together. But I was wondering why we are making excuses about occupational balance issues, mm -hmm. not having financial means to put together these events or getting more than just a free or reduced cost ticket just for helping out. Right. I think for the first two is like, if you take a look at the curriculum for the master's program and the OT program, it's like, we actually, I mean, like if you look at our community class, you know, it's like, we actually learn about the basics of community development. Yeah. And basically we're just applying what we learned over there, you know? That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. And then for the last one, they talk about like, you know, it was like, that can tarnish our standing in the tech community. I mean, like, because I know people were asking us like, oh, uh, can I get a free ticket just to uh, volunteer? Or like some people feel like, oh, I just spent 10 hours a week during the year just to help you get it. And then all I get is a ticket. I was like, well, this is a culture that you don't understand yet. <laughs> but this is the culture that we are in right now in terms of TED, you know? So that's like, it really, so basically I think it's like, because I know that when I asked like some OTD students to help out and the feedback to me was, oh, this is interesting, but why are we not getting paid? As I found out like what the criteria of getting paid is for these TEDx events, I was like, dude, you guys are like spoiled brats in a sense. So actually it's like our profession got perceived as cheap. I know it's a very nasty thing to say, yeah. but then like, but then they opened their mouth and asked me, it's like, Bill, uh, so we're paying this $70 for a TEDx event ticket. Like, can we get some CEUs out of this experience? So actually I asked the TEDxers community and I asked them, I was like, what do you guys think about that? And they're like, no way, Jose. Yeah. You are cheating. Yeah. It's like what they're asking you, they're cheapening their brand. This brand is like, this is not appropriate. They're not putting the brand. And I told them that. I was like, oh my God, this is like, you have to take the brand of that for us? Like, yikes. Yeah, it's hard because I feel like in the OT, like the world of OT, you know, we were in school for a long time and then we we're having to pay a back student loan. So I kind of get the, you know, especially newly emergent practitioners seeing the financial struggle but then again like you said we're all perceived as cheap in the tedx community but i think we are perceived that way because those people are also not seeing the value they're also lessening the value of 
that event, which in hindsight is pretty ignorant because there's a lot of value into the educational value. There's a lot of advocacy at value. There, there is value in it. Yeah, there is value. I think that's like what I learned from it. I'm going to go off scoop again. So there's value from it. What I learned from, I think I have taken like Karen Jacobs Legal lecture mm-hmm. to my heart. So it's like whenever I go to these TEDx events in person, it's like, I just want to go as an attendee. I don't even think about, want to think about CEUs. I don't even think, mm-hmm. want to think about like, uh, what do I want to get out of the experience? It's like, you know what? I want to be surprised. I want to be enlightened. So that's sort of like how I go about it in a sense. So I was like, I think that is probably the right attitude I'll go about it, you know, per se. Right. And of course, right now, people are like, people like we talk about organizing events. Like I know when I sort of propose the ideas like, hey, this can be a capstone project for an entry level OTD program. Oh. And people were like, what? Are you kidding me, man? You're asking our students to do this? I was like, yeah, I'm right. I am right. I am asking your students to do this. <laughs> and they're like, what? You're, it's like, I think the reaction I heard was like, it's almost like you're acting like Donald Trump trying to ask our students to build a wall. <laughs> Except this wall is the TEDx event, no? Oh my God, the analogy, I love it. <laughs> right, it's like you're asking a student to build a wall. And I was like, uh, how are our students going to make money from this, get money from this? Like, well, didn't you teach, the, I was almost want to say back to these instructors, was like, uh, didn't you teach that about community class? Didn't you teach about, like, you know what, if you, it's like, instead of asking for grants, it's like, okay, you know what, you have to borrow the same skills, asking sponsors right. to sponsor the event. You know, create presentations like you do in the leadership class, like a business class, you know, like presenting the business plan and that kind of stuff that all translates. Right. That's so true. Yeah. I know. So that's why people were like, yeah, I know. I was like, they were, I think when I proposed this idea at the OTA conference, like for two years now, I think people were very surprised about how strong I've been coming back at them. They were thinking it's like, oh, this was stump bill. And then like, no, this doesn't. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to ask our last question. Um, what can the profession learn from your experience overall? I think I curated the TEDx Amenso argument in spite of being an RA. Mm-hmm. Being in the RA actually create additional hurdle because I was not aware of the conflict of interest clause mm-hmm. associated with my role in the RA. So what I mean by that was that I think at the time, I think many people who were not involved in AOTA just were just involved in state level leadership or even like people in OT who just knew me, you know, like, really? That's like, this seems two different entities to me. And I was like, Phil, this event, you're not supposed to make profit anyway, you know? So like, how in the heck is like in conflict with AOTA? But then when the AOTA staff, they sort of explained it to me, it's like, oh, by the way, it's because like, well, you are raising money, especially you're asking our community for money to support this event. So therefore it's like, for people who will not, who do not understand why you need money, they'll be like, uh, why are, why am I giving my RA rep money? You know? So it's like, they're like, this is very weird, you know, per se. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, 
I saw it explained to the AOTA staff. I saw it explained to the RA speakers like, uh, this situation is inevitable because I'm the one who has licensed and I'm the one who has to oversee the financial operations. So therefore, I cannot like let it go for free. It cannot, this cannot happen. So like, they're like, okay, it's like, we cannot make you conflict of interest free, but the compromise we had to make is like, we had to make it as conflict of interest free as possible. So I think it's like, yeah, so that was like, so I think what they learned is that, yeah, so therefore I was as a concession, I was like, I was not allowed to raise this fundraiser the same manner as the Rose Parade float. What I meant by that was that at the Rose Parade float, right? So my state association, they actually allowed to have booths, you know, or they can have people running around to say, hey, would you be willing to support the floats? It's like, me? I cannot do this directly at conferences I attend, which is like, I won't say it's lame and backward, but it's more like, it's like my hands were like handcuffed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so therefore it's like that. So basically I would say it's like the profession, they pick a very willing person to give this a go, but they also pick a very poor person to keep such as ever sustainable. Because like, I'm a person who has a lot of ambitions in OT, I still do, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. definitely I want to be on like the BLDC, I definitely want to be on the board of directors. I also want to be, I guess it's like the, who knows, maybe I also want to represent us for the, as a World Federation delegate, you know? That'd be awesome. But then, if I were to do this along with the tennis stuff, it's like, it, it's a very poor person to sustain this kind of TEDx effort because like, well, the conflict of interest laws, I'm sure that will come up again. Yeah. So therefore, like, uh, you know what? I'm not going to be suckered in doing this, you know? So it's like, I mean, I gave the profession a gift of a lifetime. <laughs> so I don't need to really burden myself to do, to do that again, you know? It's like, it's not a good trade-off for me. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it's like, basically I think it's like, mm, yeah. So as much as I love the tennis community, I'm just not willing to trade it for mm. more, for my hopes and dreams in OT. Because I think like I can make a lot of difference doing autism stuff in OT than say in the TEDx world. Yeah. Plus, yeah. So therefore I think, yeah, that's what I feel like. OT at heart. I love it. All right, so I want to thank Dr. Wong for joining us today and letting us pick your brain, you know, sharing your insights with the community and hopefully getting other OTs out there making or becoming licensed in TEDx creations because this definitely is a very valuable platform for us to share our voices on or use, you know, facilitate voices, um, yeah, in the community. And I love how you tied it into your, the community practice class because it definitely is very applicable and also an example that people definitely have not thought of before. No, I don't think people have, I think a lot of people have thought of before. So that's why I was like, I try to make it more, yeah, so I think this is like a more popular guest lecture topic I've been doing because like, I think it's like, I don't think that another OT would, can speak it that way. No, you're right. We definitely have our unique holistic voices, so.
yeah, I would like to give a big round of applause. Thank you for joining us this week. And yeah, um, stay tuned for next episode, guys. And thank you for listening.